Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Kira Revan, and this, this is the Sunday Seven. On today's episode of the Sunday 7, we uncover the sexy yuck. We find out about the sequencing of the Y chromosome. Well, Guy gets very agitated about ice cream. And we discover the science behind how your dog knows when you're sick. But first, it was on this day in 1931, the Lackawanna Railroad in New Jersey introduced the first electrically powered suburban railway. The first train was driven by no less than Thomas Edison himself, who, of course, had a long history with electric power. The trains were known as the wicker liners because the seats were made out of wicker to keep the train's weight low. This week saw a story that inspired an almost universal gasp. The story of the woman with an 8 centimeter worm which was found alive in her brain. The woman who is 64 and lives in New South Wales in Australia had a parasitic worm usually found in pythons take up residency in her skull. She complained of forgetfulness and depression and a brain scan indicated abnormalities which required surgical investigation. Dr. Harry Priyabandi was the neurosurgeon who investigated the symptoms and found the mystery visitor. And fair warning, you might find this disturbing. I thought, okay, let's have a good feel around of what the stereotactic map and MRI showed us. And you could clearly, distinctly um, dissect with a dissector something quite abnormal. And that separated very well, couldn't see anything to the eye, but then I used my tumour holding forceps to lift out what was there. And to my shock, there was a linear, wiggling, red line and my registrar said is it an artery and I said of course not not here but I looked and once that all passed we could see it was moving and I said please just take it out of my forceps and rapidly passed it off to the pathology cot. And if you're worried about what happened to the worm, well, it didn't end well, as Dr. Bandy explains. Immediately, the worm was actually looked at by our infectious disease specialist, Dr. Kennedy, at the time. It was then taken to the CSIRO in Canberra, still rapidly moving. I was told at three days' time, it was still wiggling quite happily. um, But at that point, it was sliced for genetic typing. It appears that the woman was a wild forager who collected grass and greens from local bushland and that she may have inadvertently become infected by roundworm eggs shed by a carpet python. Infectious diseases physician Dr. Sanjaya Senan Ayaki says that even though this story has gone hugely viral, there's still a really important lesson that there are real risks when animal diseases cross over into the human world. This is a parasite that's never been documented to cause infections in humans before. I know everyone's sort of looking at this as sort of the the sexy yuck factor of, of, of the story, this big live worm, but the fact that it's the first human infection with this particular parasite I think is really important because it it just shows us that there may have been a hundred years between pandemics but we are still seeing new infections pop up every year.
Scientists have finally completed the sequencing of the Y chromosome. It's the last piece of the puzzle in the human genome, but why did it take so long? The Y chromosome is widely known as the male chromosome and it's both the smallest chromosome and the most complicated. The latest research suggests that the Y chromosome may contain genes that could be critical for prevention of cancer and cardiovascular disease. People also appear to lose the Y chromosome from some of their cells as they age, which may account for men's shorter lifespans. Billy Hallast is a research associate at the Jackson Laboratory and she says that to complete the sequencing, they had to look at a wide range of male subjects, 43 different men from 21 different world populations to make sure that they covered all of the possible variations. The Y chromosome is one of the smallest chromosomes in the human genome. Until now, almost half of its sequence has been missing from the human reference genome and the Y chromosome has largely been ignored in genomic analysis. The sequence composition of the human Y chromosome is rather complex. It contains many highly similar and repetitive regions which have been impossible to resolve using short-read sequencing technologies. In order for us to understand how diverse the human Y truly is, we assembled the Y chromosomes from 43 different males covering roughly 180,000 years of human evolution. We found that the Y chromosome size and structure varies extensively between males. Still to come on the Sunday 7, we go diving for the Loch Ness Monster and musicians worry about AI. first recorded reference to the Loch Ness Monster dates back to the 6th century when an Irish monk called St. Columba is supposed to have banished the monster to the loch. In the intervening centuries, the myth has lived on, but there's never been a conclusive answer to Scotland's greatest mystery. Apart from the iconic black and white image we've all seen, is there any truth to the story of a giant creature living in Loch Ness? Well, last weekend, science decided to get involved with the largest and most high-tech search of the waters in over half a century. The volunteer team working with the Loch Ness Centre used thermal imaging drones and a hydrophone to try and solve the mystery. Craig Gallifrey led the hunt and spoke to Sky News before the search to describe the new tech they had to search and was optimistic. With the technology that they're using now, they're using the thermal imaging and more sonar equipment that's more updated than they did previously. There, there could be something that might appear, whether it's other marine life that they've maybe not noticed before or if there is more caves or anything else where something could be living. So what did they find? Well, not much, according to volunteer Alan McKenna. Did hear something. We heard four distinctive whoops. I don't know what's the best way I can describe it to you. Um, we all heard it. It wasn't just me, thank goodness. It was on the speaker system. The recording equipment didn't manage to capture the distinctive gloops either, and Nessie sceptic and geneticist Professor Neil Jamel is not surprised. He says when he searched the lock back in 2018, he didn't find much. So we were looking to see what sort of DNA evidence we might find in Loch Ness. So the basic idea there was that if Nessie is a biological creature, then there would be traces of its passing in the water. I mean, this is a large creature, so presumably leaving relatively large amounts of of material behind. We found 13 species of fish that we knew that were in Loch Ness. These are things like salmon and trout and various other things. And uh, we tested a variety of hypotheses that had been put forward to explain the Loch Ness monster, including the idea that it's a giant marine reptile. Now, obviously, that's an extinct creature, so we don't actually have a DNA sequence for it. But we have a pretty good guess of where in the tree of life that sequence would sit. And we didn't find anything that looked remotely like that. In fact, we didn't even find a reptilian DNA sequence in there, despite the fact that there are a few native reptiles in Scotland. Four. We're 
we're all familiar with the looming threat of AI to the creative industries. The power of AI is part of the reason for the Hollywood strikes and AI has been used to deliver extraordinary vocal impressions of artists and singers. Now the Musicians Union in the UK is flagging that it's time for politicians to take action over the threat that deep fake versions of their output pose. Assistant General Secretary of the Union Phil Keir says that in this world existing copyright law may not be enough. I can see in future if we don't have additional protection on the personality rights of musicians, then uh, you get into the world of deep fakes and uh, sound-alikes where uh, the musician hasn't actually been involved in the decision-making process. They could be associated with anything uh, that they don't agree with, uh, types of music that they didn't actually record. And, you know, if we don't have proper labelling in place, then there'll be no way for the public to tell whether that was created by the musician themselves or by AI instead. Still to come on the Sunday 7, Will Guy really wants an ice cream and how your dog knows when you're sick. Right after this. Welcome back. This week, our Smart 7 tech correspondent, Will Guy, really, really wanted an ice cream. In particular, he wanted a McDonald's McFlurry. But it's complicated. A corner of the internet has become obsessed with how often the McDonald's ice cream machines are broken. They've even created a global map of outlets on macbroken.com where you can check your local branch. And now the plot is thickening. So, Will, what's going on and who are Mr. Fixit? Yeah, this is a really interesting story and I get all the best stories for Smart 7. This is a tech repair firm and it's known for fixing smartphones but they want to be let loose on McDonald's ice cream machines. So they've been fixing Apple iPhones for years. Uh, They work with companies like Samsung and Google to provide parts for their devices and they're really well known for their teardown videos online. They're the company that evaluates how tricky it is to repair an item or a product and they've publicly shamed Apple to such an extent that Apple products are now actually more repairable. Uh, More modern Apple devices are becoming easier to fix as a result of their videos and their work in the US to uh, try and get some laws through Congress. What has the McDonald's reaction been? Well, characteristics McDonald's have told uh, their their franchisees that own their restaurants not to contact this company or work with them because the iFixit company have worked with a company to develop a device that can understand all the error codes that this wonky ice cream machine spits out when it goes wrong. But they're saying currently don't work with these companies. And the the idea with that is McDonald's have an exclusive deal with this company called Taylor who who want to uh, who who make the ice cream machines and they want to be the only people to repair them. But it would appear these machines overheat and break down a hell of a lot. Tell me about the right to repair question. That's forced changes in attitudes on a lot of tech giants, right? Yeah, absolutely. We've actually had some rules now for games, consoles and for mobile phones in the US. The idea that they have to be easier to be repaired and the companies themselves have to be able to provide uh, the spares to fix your phone. Interestingly, Apple have made loads of components available on their website to repair their devices. Now, for me or you, it would be nearly impossible because these things are, you know, you normally need to see some of these components under a microscope, but it's the fact that they've opened the repair channel and enabled the, the local local woman down at your local shopping centre or whoever to repair your device cheaper than going back to Apple or to Google. And essentially, they want to open it up now for ice cream machines. So they're working in the US to change the rule with Congress to specifically open this up so they can go and start working with McDonald's franchisees to start fixing these ice cream machines. Because apparently, uh, if you go to that website, 12% of these ice cream machines are currently broken. And has this crossed over into digital copyright too? 
Yeah, this is so. This is interesting. At the moment, it's illegal for you to be able to fix one of these ice cream machines because it is part of this thing called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and it's designed to stop people from fixing commercial equipment protected by copyright law. So, essentially, this McDonald's ice cream is copyrighted like a piece of music or a, or a book, essentially. So they're looking to go around this and uh, you know break break this particular rule, and um, I think they'll have a really really good chance. Of getting this through with the uh, the the organisation called Public Knowledge in the US, who are campaigning for law changes, I think this will come through. We regularly see stories about the threat to the global ecosystem from the modern world, whether it's the risk of the biosphere from a shortage of pollinators or the threat of extinction for critical species in the natural ecosystem. Now one inventor has created a unique way to help nature thrive and it's all down to a pair of shoes that draw inspiration from the bison. Kiki Gamatopoulos has been studying what's called epizukari, which is nature's way of using animals to disperse seed and pollen. And one of the most effective species for dispersing is the bison. Clearly the UK is not exactly over overflowing with bison, but Kiki's new shoes could help. They're quite dramatic looking, with 3D printed soles covered in tiny Velcro-like hooks. They're not in production yet, but she thinks they could be a useful tool to help rewilding. The idea was to somewhat mimic what uh, animals do with rewildings. I took the idea of Velcro, which is also a form of biomimicry, and I blew it up into a kind of a 3D texture around the outsole and the idea is that it would pick up and disperse seeds like um, an animal would, for example, like a bison or with their fur um, within epizookery. So it's not practical at the moment to bring in bison and wolves into an urban environment um, to, you know, rewild. So I was looking at how runners and run groups could be seen and used as herds to kind of replicate the, the keystone species in rewilding. Dogs have long held the title of man's best friend and in the last decade more canines have been deployed as service dogs to help us out in a variety of ways. The range of service dogs will give you an idea of just how versatile dogs can be. They range from hearing dogs to disability assistance, medical alerts and psychiatric service dogs. So what is it about dogs that make them so useful? They have an incredible sense of smell and can be trained to detect diseases such as cancers and Parkinson's disease. And they pay close attention to us. Maria Goodavage, author of Dr. Dogs, explained to CNN that dogs really do work for their best friend title. And they're experts at reading body language. They know your body language. They know even right down to your eyes when they get to know you well. And they study you. You are everything to them. And they can tell if something is wrong. When there's something amiss, whether emotionally or physically, dogs are going to notice. And that can key them into the fact that there's something not quite right here. Just about any dog can smell something may not be quite right. Dogs can sniff out illnesses in people. They just don't know what they're smelling. Their brains and their noses were wired for scent. They have such a rich olfactory world. It's kind of like our visual world. So if you can picture us seeing with our eyes, they basically see with their nose. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.